So really, all, all today is all about this phrase. You know that you can't. You try. I try. We all try, but eventually, no matter how hard we try, we discover we can't. It's what we alluded to at the very beginning of this sermon series at the very start of the summer when we started to think about how the Psalms are intended to deliver us from a preoccupation with ourselves and get our focus on a preoccupation with God. But that preoccupation is not in the ivory tower, if you will, of a church service and not in some personal and um, private experience with God, but rather in the extraordinary, ordinary days of our lives. And we discovered right there, right then, we can't. And that is why this day is really important. Because today celebrates our complete inability to live for Christ in the ordinary stuff of life when we try to do it alone. You know that you can't. You try. I try. We all try. But no matter how hard we try, we can't because we need God and we need each other. And baptism puts together those two needs. The need for God and the need for others. And these Psalms, as we even read them, I said this at the very start of the series, they're meant to be read and practiced and lived in, with, and out of the community of God's people. And so if there's a sacrament that shouts all of that at its core, it's the sacrament of baptism. And so today we turn to another one of those psalms that was never intended to be read in private devotions, though we do it all the time. Of course we do. It was intended to be read in community. In Psalm chapter 80, the 80th psalm, we read words that Christians from across the globe are reading today. Stand with me as we look to verses 1 and 2. Let's read these words out loud together. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, sign forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Now here it is. Say it loud. Awaken your might. Come and save us. And may that be the case. You may be seated. Amen. Well, that's our starting place today. We can't. Notice today that the psalmist begins by not crying out for some personal salvation. Notice that he cries out for deliverance of a people, all the people. He is crying out for the deliverance of an entire nation, all who fall under the banner of Israel at the time. And I think we need to be assured of something, and that's that all the people who fell under the banner of Israel at the time were probably not faithful. It was probably a mixture of the faithful and the unfaithful, just like any gathering. But the psalmist saw that everyone needed to be and everyone was wanted by God. So he cries out to the glorious, great, omnipotent, shepherding God, hear us, awaken your might, come and save us. 
he says. Now, to make sure that the worshipers understood that this was accessible for them and for everyone, what he does is he gives in images a history lesson of the deliverance of the people of Israel. And so for a moment, I'd like you to turn on your imagination station within your head. And I'd like you to imagine these images, these pictures, what this looks like. I'd like you to try to envision the story of God as the psalmist is laying it out. He's actually telling the history of the Exodus and what that meant and how it impacted the world and what the people of God are supposed to be like in the world. And that's really what the psalmist is speaking to us of. It helps us understand this God who saves us. So he goes on in verse 8. He says, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. He's talking about the Exodus. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. That doesn't sound very nice. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted. The sun you have raised up for yourself. Watch over this vine. Now notice the transition. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man of your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Now on September 8th, we will wrap up this entire sermon series with Psalm 1. And we're going to point to the analogy of being planted, being blooming where you're planted. But this psalm helps us to see that God all along had a plan for the people of God to be a growing, healthy vine. It prophetically points to many of the words of Jesus. One of which is one of my own life verses from John 15, 16, when Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and to bear fruit. A vine that bears fruit. Fruit that will remain, he says. That the people of God, this is what he wants, that the people of God, the people that he wants to save are people that are to become this growing presence in the world. Whereby, as the psalmist puts it, the mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. He's talking about the people of God are this incredible growing vine that even provides shade for people. And in a desert community like that, that was critical. It's a presence. We're to be a presence that is rooted in God and nurtures the world but then suddenly there's this shift and there's this other picture that rises up in the middle of this psalm, this picture we don't like, but it's there. Boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on the vine. It's an awful picture. Just last night, we, we had a big branch from one of the oak trees come down. I mean, Ron let me know today. And I went out and looked at that. And if you look at where that branch, I mean, it's big, it's this big. Came down, it's on the edge of the parking lot. If you look at that branch up there, you can see where it looks like it's rotted out a little bit. It's probably had insects in there eating away. And 
and it could no longer sustain life. You see, that's what sin does. It's a picture of what sin looks like, what what happens when we choose to be God rather than to love God. What happens when we seek to be the Lord of our own lives rather than live for the Lord of life. It eats us up from the inside out. It's like that insect that feeds on the vine. And we no longer become and we no longer are the shade of the world that the world needs. Because the world, believe it or not, needs the shade that your life provides and that my life provides and that we provide together the shade of God's grace. We become instruments of that in the world. And so it is here that we must, we must understand, we must understand, you can't, and I can't, and we can't live for God on our own, making God in our own image, forcing God into our own mold, bending God to fit our own desires in the way we think life should be. We cry, hear us, awaken your might, come and save us, awaken your might, hear us, God. Wait a minute. What in the world does this have to do with baptism? This psalm powerfully points us to what this morning really is all about. And we can find it in these words. Beginning in verse 14, then we'll jump down to 18. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. Now look at it. Then we will not Turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. But then we will not turn away from you. Repentance is a funny word. When we think about the word repentance, we often have conjured up in our mind this image of some guy who's scraggly on a street corner with a sign saying something like, you know, turn or burn or something like that, right? Or, or, or repent or die or, you know, repent the world's coming to an end or something like that. That's what we, we think about. The intention of those kind of statements is to scare us into running to Jesus. But that is not repentance. Repentance is running to Jesus. But it's out of love. Repentance is turning. It is turning, truly turning to God. It means turning from one way of thinking about sin and God and the world and life to a different way. As one author says, repentance is to change one's mind. It doesn't mean changing your ways or else. It means that you recognize God as God and you aren't. And that's when we begin to change. That's when we begin to turn. But but here's the deal. It's turning from sin, yeah. But it's turning to God, but it's even more. It's making the decision, the psalmist says, it's saying, I am not turning away from God. It's turning toward God and saying, I am not turning away from him either. So repentance is ongoing. It's a constant turning to God and a commitment that says, and I am not going back. 
There's no going back. I am not turning back. I am committed. There's no going back. And that's what it really is. Just because we say we're a Christian, just because we have a church heritage, just because we are faithful religious adherents does not mean we are genuinely turning towards God. It is a change of mind that says this, as we saw in the psalmist, then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, we call on your name, restore us, shine on us, save us. That's that constant turning and saying, I'm not going to turn away. I can't, you can't, we can't, because we are not God. And that's really good news for us. This, uh, the Apostle Paul put it this way. I love these words. These are words we all should lock down in our lives. I'm not the best scripture memory person. Some of you could come up to me and you can quote some obscure verse of scripture that I'm not even sure. You might have just wrote it out that morning. I don't know. And I wouldn't know, maybe, because I'm just not the best at that. But we need to lock down these chunks of truth from scripture. You need to lock it down. And here's one of them. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Wow. And he goes on and says, he is your life. That's the sheer beauty of it all. That's the sheer beauty of what the psalmist is saying. I, I just, I can't turn away. That's what the psalmist is saying. I can't turn away. I won't turn away from him because look what I found. That's repentance that says I am not going to turn away. Look what I found. And that, my friends, is the sheer beauty of what these waters behind me point to. The power of a changed mind that discovers life Baptism is the beautiful drama that points to God's response to us setting our minds on things above, turning our way to him, saying, I refuse to turn away, God, cleansing us, forgiving us from sin, and giving us life. Don't believe all the lies about where you can find life. You can't buy it, you can't sell it, you can't inherit it, you can't work for it, you can't design it, you can only receive it. And it's free, but it'll cost you everything, right? That's the beauty. Gives us new life. This is how Paul said it in Romans, those beautiful words. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He says we, he says we, he doesn't say I, he says we were buried. So baptism marks this new life from God, and baptism marks as D.L. and true blood, the Quaker theologian used to say, God wanted to create a new humanity. <laughs> baptism marks you, me, us, 
as being fully human in a new humanity. He makes us part of a new people, his people, a redeemed people. Psalm 80 is the perfect psalm because you see Psalm 80 is a reminder to the recipients that first received this psalm of the activity of God in their history. That they were part of a larger story of redemption which they could not forget. And that God is growing his people even in the midst of their failure and then their their success, their movement, then they're falling backwards that God was constantly working on the vine. That they are part of this larger story. And so this psalm calls the people to not turn away from who God is, calling people to live out his story. Calling people to live out history as God's people. Wow. And baptism for us declares that you and I, followers of Jesus, are the history makers who will live out the story of God's new creation, his new covenant. So in baptism, we are saying we're not turning back. We are now the people marked by God's grace and presence. We are his people, his vine, that he is growing in the world. We are saying this is the direction our life will now take. We are saying we will not turn back to the ways we once lived, and we will now be part of the new creation, God's people, and we will be his faithful vine in the world. That's what we're saying. And we're saying all that because we finally know you can't, and I can't, and we can't live for Christ alone. We need God, and we need each other. And so we must make this our prayer, just as the people then did from Psalm 80 again. We will never turn back from you, God. Give us life, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Because there is no turning back. As we prepare for baptism today, I would like to invite our two baptism candidates, Stephanie Kendall and Michelle LaVirtue, to come and stand in the center for a moment. And in a moment, congregation, I'm going to invite you to stand as well. In a moment, we're going to share an affirmation of baptism and we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to ask you, those of you in the congregation today who have been baptized, when we come to the conclusion of the affirmation, when we ask the question, will you be baptized into this faith and will you live out this faith? The response is, I will. These young women know that already. But I'm going to ask you, you who've been baptized, today is the day for you to affirm that baptism and we to affirm with them. And so I told them, it's not just going to be your voice you're going to hear. It's going to be your family's voice together that's going to affirm that. And so today, congregation, I invite you to stand with us today. And I did say to them, this is going to sound like a wedding. And I said, you know, you're kind of sort of getting married today to us. So... Dearly beloved. That's what my notes say. Here we go. You ready, guys? Here we go. Ready? Awesome. Dearly beloved, 
Christian baptism is a sacrament signifying participation by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and incorporation into his body, the church. It is a means of grace, proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul declares that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death. We are buried with him through baptism so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too are raised to walk in newness of life. As we have been united with him in his death, we will also be united with him in his resurrection. The Christian faith into which you now come to be baptized is affirmed in the Apostles' Creed, which we now confess together. Let's read the Apostles' Creed together. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sins at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you today be baptized into this faith, and will you live out this faith? If so, answer, I will. I will. Amen. Congregation, you may be seated. I'm going to ask our baptism candidates to go and prepare for baptism. The next time we come together, we will invite them into the baptismal waters to share together this faith that we declare and say, this is who we are. This is who I am, and this is who whose I am. We are one another's in the place of baptism. Let us worship him today. Receive this blessing, this charge, this calling as we go from this place. May we go and declare our own baptism. May we declare God's goodness and grace in our lives to those in our world that long to know of God's love. Amen. Go in peace. Amen. Have a great week.